1: The sun is shining, flowers are showing themselves, summer is definitely in the air. I'm so excited to be at RHS Garden Wisley for this week's podcast. It's a summer advice extravaganza with me, Guy Barton. Today's show is bursting with top tips to get your garden looking great at this time of year. We'll explore how to make your borders look stunning, answer some of your burning questions... And focus on taste as we explore how to grow delicious salad ingredients throughout the season. I'm joined now by Nikki Barker, an advisor here, to talk through some top tasks to be doing this time of year. Hi Nikki. Hi Guy. So Nikki, where should people start on their to-do list this season?
2: I think right now, get into the habit of deadheading your plants. So whether they're herbaceous perennials, whether you're seasonal bedding, particularly actually rhododendrons as well, as they're coming to an end, deadhead them because you'll get lots more flower later on in the year from your annuals and perennials. But with rhododendrons as well, you'll get a much improved flowering the following year if you don't let them go to seed.
1: What else should people be looking at doing at this season?
2: If you've got recently planted plants in your garden, then you need to start keeping an eye on the watering now if they're still getting established. Whilst we've had lots of rain, it is now starting to get hot and it will start to dry up. So keep an eye on the watering. Certainly with containers, I think, make sure that you water reasonably regularly and just keep the soil moist rather than letting it dry out and then soaking it. It's more efficient use of water and the plants prefer it as well generally. You often need to feed plants as they're coming into this amount of growth. And that's particularly true of annuals that you're planted in containers if you've got hanging baskets going. Also your your fruit and veg. You need to start feeding your tomatoes, your squashes, your cucumbers. They're very greedy plants. And if you don't feed them, it really is going to affect your yield. But if you don't feed your seasonal bedding and your container plants, then that's going to affect the amount of flour that you get off them as well. So if you've got things like rhododendrons and camellias in containers, now they've gone over, you still need to be feeding them for another few weeks because they set their flower bud for next year. They'll set that later in the summer and they need to have the resources to do that. And if you've got plants in containers that are flowering through the summer, then regular feeding will make a big difference to the amount of flower, but also for how long the flowering goes on for.
1: This is an important time of year for fruit and vegetables. What are your tips for grow-your-own-jobs?
2: At this time of year, you need to be making sure that you're keeping on top of your weeding, especially around things like leeks, potatoes, onions. They don't like the competition So just gently weeding, you can hand weed, lightly hoe if you've got enough space between the rows. Keep on top of that and it will save you lots of work because if you start doing it now, then also you're going to stop a lot of the annual weeds going to seed. And once they've gone to seed, you've just got thousands and thousands of weeds and your job is so much harder. And they then really start to take up resources that actually you want for your vegetables
1: and uh, what about sowing? Are you a fan of sowing things to have a, a bit of um, fresh produce in the late summer, early autumn?
2: Oh, yes, absolutely. I've just sown some more courgettes, French beans. I carry on going with probably another, I'll do another couple of successional sewings yet. Beetroot, carrots, there's all sorts of things sometimes as well it does depend with things like spinach because sometimes it can bolt depending on the weather but there's no harm in sowing it anyway because even if it does bolt you can just chop it in as a bit of green manure
1: and the uh, fruit I'm, i noticed that uh, my strawberries are just coming into flower what sort of fruit tips do you have for this season
2: with strawberries it's feeding actually again that they, they do like plenty of food so hopefully you will have added some organic matter to the ground over the winter And they'd like to be in the sunshine, but yeah, it doesn't hurt to give extra feed to strawberries and keep them watered as well. Otherwise, they do tend to, the fruit can shrivel.
1: If you were to leave our listeners with one piece of advice to have a stellar summer, what would that be?
2: My one piece of advice would be go with the flow on this, leaving your lawn longer because you have to spend so much less time mowing your lawn and it's really interesting watching all the butterflies and all the different insects that having some of those things that we call weeds in your lawn attracts and you can still use it as a lawn but it's just much lusher, a lot less work and much more interesting to look at.
1: Mm, That sounds like a lot of fun. Thanks, Nikki. And Nikki will be back later to answer some of your questions. I'm now standing next to lovely summer borders with Verity Bradbury, team leader at Wisley. Hi Verity. Hi Guy. So Verity, here we are standing and we're looking at a border now, aren't we, along the edge of the pond. And it must be an early border because there's quite a lot of flowers there.
3: Yep, it's a very good one for early summer interest. We've got a couple of lovely peonies. We've got one called Buckeye Bell and one called Flame And then we've also got some lovely bearded irises as well. We've got one called lark rise, which is a lovely light blue with a hint of white. And then also one called high roller, which is sort of a burnt orange. And I really like that one, actually. Mm. They're actually doing really well this year. They were divided a couple of years ago and it really shows.
1: It's interesting you say that. Just to pick up on that, I mean how often should you divide a plant to keep it looking good?
3: So I believe sort of every three to five years, depending on the plant. Mm-hmm. We did some Asters or the Symphotrichums, as I think they're now, mainly known, on one of the other borders nearby. I think they went in about three years ago and we did them this spring, but they really needed it. They were very much showing congestion.
1: <laughs> and there's a very lovely little yellow plant. I think it's a a daylily.
3: I believe it is.
1: Yeah, isn't that lovely? So this is an early border. If people are at home, is there anything they could plant in amongst those plants that would give a, a later display after this one's over come July?
3: So things like Austromeria. There's one in particular called Indian Summer. That is really good. It will start flowering fairly soon and it actually goes on till the first frost. Got lovely dark foliage to it and a nice orange flower, and then also things like Nyphophias as well, the red hot pokers, really good for that later summer interest. Again, there's actually one on the Equinox beds nearby called Happy Halloween, it flowers around Halloween time and it's a great one.
1: These are really fantastic plants. So, what kind of things do you look at when you're planting up a summer border?
3: So colour is key, and in the summer you are sport for choice when it comes to colour, but to help you with your planning you might want to think about a colour scheme. So one of the other beds on Seven Acres has a purple and orange colour scheme, and we also have a bed that's more pastel coloured, which again just helps your selection. Or you could look at form. So in the exotic garden here at Wisley, they look at things like Trachycarpus, cannas and the Musa, the hardy banana, to combine together to make a nice foliage display.
1: What about scent? Is scent a feature of summer plants?
3: So I was thinking about this the other day because Seven Acres, where we are now, is also home to the winter walk. And to me, I think scent seems to be more prominent in the winter but there are some lovely plants for summer scent one of which in particular is philadelphus and that has got gorgeous summer scent so again if you planted it by a bench or in a pot near where you're going in and out of doorway you can enjoy it when you go past
1: philadelphus is a shrub isn't it are you a fan of introducing shrubs into your summer borders
3: i think it's important actually because again you need that structure You obviously have your plants in the summer and you've done it for a fantastic summer display, but come the autumn, once they're finished, you cut them all back, what are you gonna look at? So yeah, if you have a shrub, especially an evergreen one, it's gonna provide you with some interest to look out your kitchen window when you're doing your washing up and still see something in the bed rather than just looking at nothing all winter.
1: One of the the challenges must be to keep these borders looking good and they are immaculate. There's not a weed to be seen and the soil is beautifully raked and everything's standing up and hasn't flopped down in a tangled mass. What's your secret?
3: Well, lots of teamwork, I would say. Lots of hands. But I'd say key things to remember after you've planted a new border is one, watering, especially if it's going to be a lovely hot summer like we have at the moment. Mulch will definitely help after planting. It helps lock that moisture in. And then also, well, we need to, you don't have to do quite as much weeding. You'll still have to do some, but not quite as much. Deadheading can be done. We don't do a huge amount on our beds just because of the sheer scale of them. But in a domestic setting, a bit of deadheading will help promote more flowers and mean that the flowers that you have got to come you can appreciate them better and then edging i have to say we're a big fan of edging here at wisley if your bed butts up to a a lawn if you just run a nice pair of edging shears along there it makes a real difference and our visitors always appreciate a crisp edge
1: gardeners often are always looking for a, a good combination of plants have you got any that you're particularly proud of
3: so one that's been catching my attention recently actually is up by the glass house. There's a rogersia, which looks lovely and it's got some alliums popping up through it. And it was absolutely fantastic. It's like a bronze foliage of the regersia, and the alliums, purple alliums, just balls of purple popping up through it. it looks really really nice
1: actually that is an absolutely fabulous one isn't it because the regercias have these great big hand-shaped leaves that are spectacular on their own and the allium that's been chosen is a really tall one mm. in fact i can look it in the eye and i'm quite tall so uh, it's a spectacular combination and when people have come up with combinations and they've managed to source plants what are the pitfalls they should look out for
3: So I would say one thing is not to buy too many things all in one go. It is really tempting when you're going around the garden center, but of course, plants will need room to grow. So you don't want to jam pack your borders too much. And also spreading it out a little bit helps spread the cost as well. And I'd say even if you come up with a plan and you think you know exactly what you want where, don't feel you have to stick to that. We come up with a plan, but then it will change. When you have the plants in front of you, it's very different to when you're planning on paper.
1: When you're working in the Borders, I know that people come up and ask you for tips and things. And um, Is there a single tip that you think is one that you give often that would be valuable for people?
3: I would say just remember the use of annuals and also bulbs. You know, you could plant up your bed, again, say in the spring, enjoy it in the summer, but then if you still have gaps think about adding some bulbs we've got alliums in lots of our beds around they can be easily bought and drifted through and around existing plantings and they just add a real bit of interest in the early summer they're really nice
1: oh thanks verity for sparing time from these incredible borders it must take an immense amount of work to keep looking good it was really kind of you and um, i'm sure people will be ever so interested thanks
3: you're very welcome guy i've had great fun thank you
1: Wisley is also home to many of our advisors and they're based in our soon to open Hilltop Science Building which we'll be venturing inside to learn all about next week. But for now let's join some of the knowledgeable team as they answer some of your questions.
4: Hello my name's James Lawrence I'm standing outside the new building at Hilltop and I'm joined by Nikki, hello and Marcia hello and we're here to answer some of your questions. We have a question that's come in from Neve.
3: I've got a question about a wisteria in my garden. The wisteria is producing lots and lots of leaves, but no flower buds. And I was wondering if you could help me know how I can encourage it to produce more flowers.
4: Marcia, what's your thoughts on that?
3: Uh, well, one problem
5: that we've seen quite a lot of with wisterias not flowering this year is because of the cold weather, the flower buds sort of got damaged just before they came out. So that could be one possible reason.
4: Nikki, any ideas?
2: There's quite a few reasons why wisterias don't flower sometimes. Pigeons do love to eat the flowers. Uh, so even if, they, if the flowers set and the frost didn't get them, then it's quite possible that some hungry birds have eaten them. It may also be that they didn't set flower bud last year, that it was very hot and dry during the summer, so they actually didn't set enough flower bud for you to have flower this year. So sometimes, especially with younger plants, watering in very hot, dry weather can
4: be beneficial for setting the flower bud for the following year. And the only other thing I would add to that, really, is that there may be a nutrient issue. So perhaps the soil might be lacking in a certain nutrient, phosphorus, which helps promote the flowering. So maybe a good high potash feed might help as well next we have a question from rebecca
2: we got an allotment back in october and we thought we'd done a really good job of digging all the weeds out but of course we haven't and now it's covered in horsetail and bindweed is there anything that we can do to get rid of it all organically
4: marcia your thoughts
5: They can both be eradicated, but it does take quite a lot of time. I don't think either of them you're going to get rid of in one season. And obviously the fact that there's sort of other plants in there is going to make it a bit more complicated. So I think for this growing season, because you've already got crops in, the best that you can do is sort of go through and hand weed. With horsetail, it is actually something that you can grow things amongst. You know, it doesn't tend to smother things. But with bindweed, that's more likely to be a problem sort of growing up things and smothering them it's generally better now that you know that you've got these sort of both very persistent perennial weeds not to do an awful lot of digging if they regrow from any section of root so sort of any chopping up of the roots you do you're essentially sort of propagating the weed and making it a lot worse. And Marcia, moving forward for future years, is there anything else they
4: could do that might limit this problem?
5: I think because they are two weeds that are difficult to eradicate, to save them time, one thing that you could do is turf the area and then with constant mowing, you're basically sort of, every time the weed pops up, you're taking the top off and it's going to weaken it. So it might take two or three years, but you can get rid of it that way, still have a lawn and a usable area.
4: The next question that's come in is from Billy.
1: I've been growing broad beans at my allotment over the winter, but come the spring they've been absolutely covered in black fly. How much of a problem is it and what's the best way to do with them? Nikki,
2: They can, if you get a very severe infestation, affect the crop, but it's a very common problem and they generally go for the soft new growth at the tips. That's what they're looking for and it's actually part of their life cycle essentially just pinch out the tips that will actually probably improve the yield a little bit anyway because it will cause the plants to branch so that's quite a good way of getting rid of them just pinch out the tips because that's where most of the black fly will be they do colonize very quickly but actually not long after they've colonized usually the predators start to come things like ladybirds so it's also a problem that then will naturally go away but as I say, if you have a severe infestation, then it will affect your yield. Squashing them is very good as well.
5: Marcy, have anything else to add? Sometimes with blackfly, you can sort of just blast them off with water, but I think the growth on broad beans would be too soft to do that. So, I mean, there are organic contact insecticides that you could use, so they're based on fatty acids or, or plant oil, so that would be an option if it was particularly bad, but otherwise I think the pinching out the tips is the best option.
1: If you have a garden dilemma... Record yourself asking your question on your smartphone or tablet and email it to podcast at rhs.org.uk. Let's finish today in the veg plot. I'm here standing in the new veg plot at the hilltop building at Wisley and it's full of lovely green shoots, newly planted, peas, lettuces, beans and even sweet corn sending up long pale green leaves. In this week's edition of our running feature on fruit and veg, Sylvia Travers is here to discuss simple salads.
6: There's so much diversity in salad crops. They're really tender and perishable and the flavour is incomparable to that you can buy. And they're really easy, you don't need much and actually that's the thing that is often forgotten in gardening. You don't need all the kit, you don't need all the greenhouses and heat mats and trowels and rakes and everything and pots. There's so much you can make do. I think if I was going to suggest anything to have for gardening, have a trowel, your finger can be a dibber, and you can make pots out of anything. I mean, toilet roll tubes, you can get little things that form pots out of newspaper, mushroom punnets, strawberry punnets, anything like that. You know, they're all containers with holes in the bottom. That's your pot. That's sufficient. In terms of an entry-level salad growing, I would go for pea shoots. They're really good and they're really flavourful and they're really fast. You don't need to buy pea seed. You know your marrow peas you buy in the shop in a cardboard box? They're ideal. They're really cheap. They're about 50p a packet. You get your mushroom punnet or your seed tray. It doesn't have to be very deep, actually. You can pre-soak them to soften the outer layer of them and lay them out in your compost. Side by side, quite closely together, not on top of one another, but flat, and cover them with a few centimetres of compost and just water them, put them on a sunny windowsill or in your greenhouse, and they'll start germinating. At about 10 centimetres, you can start harvesting the shoots. And you'll get three or four cuts, if you're lucky, before you next need to next sow the following batch. But actually, when I start cropping the first lot, I'll sow my next lot. So you've got a succession going. And they're, they're great. You know, Stick them in your cheese sandwich. They're brilliant. So next level up, I would say, are radishes. Humble radish. I mean, most people don't like them because they're a bit too peppery. Once you sow your own and harvest them and eat them, they're so sweet and tasty. They're much sweet and less spicy when you grow your own. You can sow them directly in a pot or a bed or whatever, whatever you fancy from March to August. And sow little and often because they will mature really quickly. They'll take three weeks in high summer to get from sowing to harvest. And there's so many different shapes and colours. My favourite is a variety called white icicle, which looks like a dog's tooth, dog's canine tooth. But it's really crunchy and sweet. There's also sparkler which is your usual red round variety and the french breakfast which are the really lo- are the long red ones with the white tip on the end. I like them just picked fresh sliced really thinly with a bit of olive oil and salt in a the salad they're just great. Mustard. I don't mean the sort you grow on a tissue but the kind of green speckledy spicy leaves you get in a salad bag. They're best sown after midsummer because they run to seed before then because of light levels, so they they like when days are getting shorter. So sow from July to September. You can sow them in a plug to plant out later, or you can direct sow them. Do a line with a a stick, sprinkle your seed in, and you can also harvest them to thin the plants apart to about 20 centimetres final spacing. They'll overwinter in a cold glass house or a polytunnel. And the leaves are great, because also it's one of those salad leaf that tastes like something else when it's young, So the interesting factoid about mustard leaves is that they taste like new potato skins when the leaves are small and then they get spicier and lose that flavour as they get older. If you have overwintered a crop, the following spring they will flower and those flower shoots are edible and they're really tasty and they're a really nice addition to an early salad. Varieties I like, there's a variety called green frills, there's another one called red frills, they're real kind of lacy tender leaves. There's one called red giant which is really spicy and there's another one called red streak. So there's loads to choose from, pick and mix, and they work, they'll work really well with the rest of the crops I've just listed. So you'll have a really colourful, tasty salad. With lettuce, you can pretty much have a more or less all-year-round supply from three sowings a year. I would suggest sowing in February, early June and mid-July for an overwintering crop. Rather than harvesting a whole head, I generally harvest the bottom leaves up. So you end up with a little lettuce tree at the end. But it also staggers your harvesting, so you're not end up ending up with a massive head of lettuce to eat. But also it means you can grow lots of different varieties at the same time and pick and choose the leaves you want to harvest, so you get a nice colourful selection. It's a really economical way of using space as well, if that's limited to. You don't need a knife, so pick off the leaves by hand, working your way up, and it also means that loads of nice air is circulating between the plants, so you kind of reduce pest and disease problems as well. And so experiment with different varieties. You've got things like baby cos, you've got red baby cos lettuce, a variety called Inred got oak leaf types which are kind of loose fluffy heads you've got red and green varieties of those you've got iceberg you've got so many batavia lettuce there's loads to choose from i generally sow them in little plugs so small little modules and end up spacing about 20 to 30 centimeters apart again they don't like too much heat to germinate so they go into a thing called thermodormancy if they get too hot they seeds just kind of go to sleep and they won't germinate take them off the heat put them somewhere cooler and they should pop up It tolerates shade as well, so it's a really good crop to put in an area that's not useful for many other things. And also that means it's very useful as an understory crop. So think about your kale. When it's nice and tall, put a crop of lettuce underneath if you have a gap.
1: Thanks, Sylvia. Well, what a jam-packed show we've had today. If I were to leave you with one last tip to have a spectacular summer, I would say plant up lots and lots of lovely salad veg, all those lovely delicious things that Sylvia was recommending. For more on the tips and tricks in today's show, then head to rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. And if you've been inspired by today's show to visit an RHS garden, there are many green spaces all over the country, including Rosemore in Devon, which has got a wonderful new water garden, Harlow Carr in Yorkshire, Hyde Hall in Essex, and Bridgewater near Manchester, which has just opened, and I've yet to visit it in its completed state, so I'm really looking forward to that. It's time for me, Guy Barter, to get back to advising the public. See you next time.